2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11b. Uh, and it's the lead up into what's titled, uh, when we get to verse 18, as David's prayer. So, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11b. The Lord declares to you what the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he goes wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as, and as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, I have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known to your, make known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You established your people Israel as your very own forever and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep, from, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty God of Israel, you have re revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight for you. O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. It's a delight to have the opportunity to share with you this morning, and I'd like to also extend the warm welcome to you all. I was thinking about the verse that we had at the beginning of the year, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And I felt I wanted to look again at being faithful in prayer, and that's really the, the theme of what I have to say this morning. So I wonder, when was the last time you did what David did? You see, you and I, we're such busy people, aren't we? We've so many things to do, there never seems to be any time, and sometimes we, we can't help it, but, but we even feel perhaps slaves to the demands of the people around us, our families, a, a friend in need, 
And then, of course, uh, we're only human. We like to enjoy ourselves, and that takes up time too. We live these modern lives which are just so busy, and I guess that's the way it is. But when was the last time that you did what David did? Like a child sitting down with his heavenly father, King David goes in before the Lord. King David went in and sat before the Lord. That's what we read uh, in verse 18 of that reading we read. But you know, David has been busy too. He's established a kingdom. He's re-established Jerusalem as the capital. He's brought back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, which of course was the great symbol of God's presence with his people so that God was once again established at the center of the national life of Israel. And if we'd read further back, we would have realized that David has even greater plans. He wanted to build a massive temple in Jerusalem to worship God. And God has looked into the heart of David, and he's seen these genuine intentions to honor his Lord. But then we read part of this wonderful revelation that was made clear to David through the prophet Nathan, that God has promised David something that would be beyond his wildest dreams, something that David didn't even know was for him, a greater blessing, quite outside of David's thinking. What God has done is promised to build David a house, not a mere palace, not a material building. God has promised David that he will build him a dynasty and a dynasty that will last forever. And God himself as the promised Messiah will reside in this eternal kingdom with its royal line from the house of David. These are the words that the Lord speaks to David through Nathan. The Lord himself declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And there we see one of the great prophecies of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, David was shocked by this. He was filled with a deep sense of awe and wonder. And it is for this reason that he goes and he sits down in the tent of meeting and he remains there for some time in prayer. David is quiet before the Lord. David went in and sat before the Lord. Is this your experience? Is this my experience? Do you and I ever feel like David? Do you want to get away and be quiet before, the God, before God on your very own? You know, we all need to do it. Every Christian needs that time of quiet with the word of God open before them, where they can quietly consider such things before God. 
But we're very busy people, aren't we? Perhaps we're even busy in our activities for the Lord himself. There are so many things that need doing for the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if we're too busy, there are dangers even there. To what extent do we spend moments of quiet before God? Because the truth is, we all need to do just that. When was the last time you did what David did? Many times we meant to do it, but maybe it was some time in the past since we sat quietly before the Lord. We live in a world filled with distractions and we're easily distracted, aren't we? Our thoughts can wonder. Often our problems seem to dominate our thinking. Too often we approach God full of our immediate needs and concerns. Now don't get me wrong, there is indeed a place for that. As Ian has explained to us earlier this morning, it is right that we bring things before the Lord and that we share our concerns and our worries. But there's also a place to spend time with our thoughts focused on God alone. To spend time reflecting upon his greatness, his power, his majesty, and all that he has done. To sit quietly consumed by his infinite love. But you know, sometimes it just seems too difficult to do, doesn't it? But let's put aside ourselves for a moment... And let's concentrate on the greatness of God, his power, his holiness. And let's ponder on his wonderful promises and dwell upon them. Well, whether we sit regularly before the Lord as David did, or whether it's an experience that we've yet to have, let's learn from this encounter that David has before his Lord that's wonderfully recorded for us in the scriptures. And so the first thing I want us to notice is the way in which David approaches God. Let's look at his approach before God. And what's the first thing he says? He says, who am I, O sovereign Lord? And these are words which David uses throughout his prayer. In fact, he uses this very phrase twice in verse 19 and also in verses 20, 22, 28, and 29. We can count them all up. And he repeats these words of approach. O sovereign Lord. He doesn't go in and say, Hiya, God, it's Dave. He doesn't talk about his old mate, God. David addresses his heavenly father as the sovereign Lord. But you know, this isn't an Old Testament phenomenon. It wasn't that people were sort of stuffy in the Old Testament times. Because if we go into the New Testament and that vibrant new church that we read about in the Acts of the Apostles, that fledgling church together in prayer, how did they approach God? Well, we can read in Acts 4. And this is when Peter and John had been released from prison and they'd gone back to the fellowship And we read in verse 24 there that when they heard this, this is the the fellowship, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it. 
the first thing they do is to acknowledge who God is and what he has done. And you know, if we're serious about approaching God, then we must remember who he is too. We must remember that he is absolute. We must remember that there is not a single atom in the entire universe that can stray outside of his divine purpose. You know, with God, there is nothing beyond his power. Everything is fully under his control. That's what sovereign means. God's will is irresistible. He is sovereign and he is answerable to no one. And it's David who addresses his God and it's David who recognizes the sovereignty of the Lord. And it's David who acknowledges that God is the only God. And in our turn, we must see our Heavenly Father as the God who is involved with his people. We must acknowledge his vast power and his wisdom. Indeed, God's power is so vast that if he so chooses, he can make the entire machinery of the universe move in reference to just one of his children. Remember when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den? Those lions suddenly lost their appetite. Remember when God's son was born? An unknown star appeared in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. And even in the New Testament church, the fellowship there recognized that all that had happened, that all that Herod and Pilate had done, had in fact been totally under God's sovereignty. In fact, these are the words recorded. Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And here's the crux of it. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This is the might and the majesty of the God we worship. And back in the Old Testament, we see these great promises that God gives to David through the prophet Nathan of this eternal dynasty, not made by some God who may be able to deliver it on the occasional miracle. No, you see, David understands that the person who has promised this dynasty the one who has promised this eternal throne to him and his family is none less than the very governor of the universe. And so we ask ourselves, do we take God's promises seriously? Do we really, really believe that God is indeed able to deliver all that he says he can deliver? Do we really believe that in a few years' time, you and I will be reigning with Christ in heaven? You know, God's promised that to you and me through his gospel. And do you really believe that God is able to raise you and to raise me from the dust of death? He's promised that in his word, you know. If we really acknowledged God's sovereignty, 
and we really believed that God is sovereign in all things, what a difference that would make to the lives we live. You see, David came before God with this great sense of awe, and this is typical of all the prayers that we read about in the Bible. Nobody strolls into the presence of God. They're humbled because they recognize who God is, and they approach God with great care and reverence because they understand that this wonderful God is no less than the sovereign Lord God Almighty the one who made everything, the one who controls everything. And we should do the same. Well, we've looked at David's approach to God, but let's move on and look at his response to God, his response. And there is a difference here between approach and response. Well, this is what David says as soon as he realizes what's been promised to him through that prophecy. He says, who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? As if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? And what we discover here is that David's response to all that God has promised, all that God has said is a response of profound humility. And let's not forget the context here. Israel, as a nation at this point in history, is riding on the crest of a wave. David is at the high point of his kingship. Jerusalem has just been restored as the capital of a united Israel. The Ark of the Covenant has been returned. David has done well. David has been a brilliant leader. But is he proud? Does he say to himself, uh, I half expected God would have something special for me after all that I've done and achieved? No, quite the opposite. David is astonished. David is humbled. And he says, who am I and, and what is my family? That's his response. And you know, it should be the same for you and me. God deals with us in a very gracious way, but he deals with us in a way which makes it quite clear that it is his will and purpose at work. And therefore he leaves us with no room for pride. There's nothing that we should say about ourselves when we think of God's wonderful promises. And he leaves us astonished that I as a sinner should receive anything from God at all. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? You see, when God saves us, he comes into our lives and he shows us our saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know this is an unusual thing in the sense that it is not the experience of the vast majority of people in this world. The Christian finds himself or herself in the minority. And yet, even on a merely human plane, there is so much for which we should be thankful. God took the trouble to make us, to create us. He's given us a wonderful world to live in. He gives us each breath that we breathe. And every heartbeat of every creature on this planet is a sign of God's goodness. 
And then we might ask ourselves, because of who we are, how come we live in such a lovely part of the world compared to so many others? How come you and I are so blessed in this world? Why is it that we are well off and we live in a land which is not war-stricken? Who am I? Am I somebody special, somebody better than, somebody more deserving perhaps than, than those who die of malnutrition in Africa? Well, of course not. Of course I'm not. But more than that, why is it that that gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has been given to you and me when so many in the world will live and die having never heard the name of Jesus Christ? And as we ponder such things, we are amazed at God's grace to us. And you know, the only reasonable response is a response of profound humility. Such humility must always come when we recognize what God has done for us. He's lifted you and me from the way of sin and death and destruction. He's adopted us as his sons and daughters And not only that, we're co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, David too was profoundly humbled as he pondered on all that God had done for him and all that God had promised to him. And in his prayer he says, What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. And he goes on to say, For the sake of your word and according to your will, You have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And David here is acknowledging that this future kingdom, this eternal kingdom that has been promised to him through this prophecy, is not of his own doing. It's not within his power to do it. David is acknowledging that he himself has no grounds for pride here because it's all down to God. It's all down to the free grace of God alone. And you know, every Christian is bound to say the same thing. To be a Christian is an unusual thing and it's all of grace and it's all of God's doing. Only God has the power to redeem those who are lost and dead in their sins. There was a time when you and I were locked out of the gospel, our hearts were against God and it took a miracle to unlock them. Remember that uh, lady called Lydia, the trader in purple cloth? She was saved not because she was in any way capable to give her heart to God. The Bible tells us quite the opposite. It tells us that it was God who first opened her heart. In other words, it was God's sovereignty at work. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And wasn't it Jesus who said these words? No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. The work of salvation is the sovereign work of God. But you know, though God is sovereign, he doesn't smash his way into our lives. 
He does it in a very loving and kind way. And and that great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, when he preached about God's grace uh, in salvation, he said this, he said, he gave this illustration, he said, you see two boxes opened, perhaps topical of what we had earlier, you see two boxes opened. And he said there are two ways of opening them. You see one box wrenched. Who opened it? A thief. God never opens men's hearts this way. And then he goes on to say, you see another box. No sign of damage. No sign of any particular labor. Who opened it? And he says, the person who had the key, the owner. Hearts belong to God, Spurgeon said. And he has the keys to open them. To sweetly open them. And God comes to you and me as the creator to his creature. And he alone frees us from our enslaved wills. And he alone opens our blind eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God who unlocks our hearts because he has the key. Remember that, uh, that hymn? The fourth verse goes like this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. So we sing in And Can It Be. And David goes on and says, What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. David here is acknowledging that God has done it because he wants to. And David was humbled because God willed it all. And when we come to God, our response can only reasonably be one of profound humility. But finally we move on and we observe that in the light of all this, of all that David has discovered of David's approach and his response, we see David praising God. And he goes on and says, How great you are, O sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. David worships God, and he does this by focusing his mind. He thinks about what God has done, He reflects upon the greatness of God and he applies his mind to what he knows from the word of God. And there's a wonderful pattern there for you and me, isn't there? We have a God who speaks through his word. We have a God who reveals his glory through his creation, as we thought earlier on with the young people. We have a God who demonstrates his profound love for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, we cannot come before God and simply do our own thing. God wants us to know him better. He wants us to use our minds and to think about him and to marvel at all he's done. We need to know God through his wonderful promises. And he wants us each to be confident of our knowledge of him. You know, Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. He prayed for that fellowship. And and what did he pray for? Did he pray that the collection would increase? Did he he pray for 
better church premises? No, this is what Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, sorry about the spelling, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that you may know him better. That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, that they might know their God better. But he goes on and he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And here Paul is unpacking what it means to know God better and part of that is to understand his incomparably great power for us who believe. Paul wants you and me to know God better too. That's why it's been recorded for us in Scripture. But he wants us to understand the wonder and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has given us through that, through salvation in him. And it's with such knowledge that we praise our sovereign God, who is our loving Heavenly Father. You know, we live in a world of confusion. We live in a world of violence, a world at war. We've seen so much evidence of that even within January this year. And people, of course, will ask, where is God in all this? But the Christian, although we may not fully understand it, yet we can be totally confident. Confident because our Heavenly Father is the Sovereign Lord God Almighty. And in the seeming confusion of it all, the eternal purposes of God are indeed being worked out from age to age, and they cannot fail. God's purposes are being worked out today, especially for his church, and particularly for you and for me. You and I have no reason to be dismayed or discouraged. God's divine purposes are sovereign Lord God Almighty. His purposes can never be overturned. And David in his prayer before God dwells upon God's eternal purposes and he says, and now Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And for you and me, God has indeed kept his promises. The incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come. He was lifted up after he died on the cross. He rose again and he lives in heaven to pray for you and me. And he's already secured a place for you and me in heaven. And the Bible also promises this, that one day King Jesus will return. And that day will be an awesome day, maybe a catastrophic day for those who said no to the Lord Jesus. But for you and me, it will be a wonderful day. The day when we will not any longer be condemned for our sin because we're already clothed in the righteousness of God. It's the day when we will be prepared as Christ's gleaming bride 
ready for that heavenly banquet spoken about in Revelation. But above all, it will be a wonderful day for you and me, simply because of what God has done for us. You know you're precious to God, and he loves you just as much today as he ever has, or indeed as he ever will. He will not love you more in heaven than he loves you today. And why can I say this? Because God set his love on you, he sought you out, and he paid the price of your sin through the redemption that Jesus Christ gained on the cross of Calvary. And if we reflect for a moment, can we really take all of that in? Can we understand the enormity of what God has done for us? And if we can, surely the only reasonable response that you and I can make in gratitude is to do what David did and to go humbly before the throne of God and quietly say, Who am I, O Sovereign Lord? And what is my family and what have you brought and and that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O Sovereign Lord... You have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O Sovereign Lord? Let's do that and let's praise God. Amen.